Chapter Ten of Love's Shadow by Ada Leverson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor. Chapter Ten, A Musical Afternoon. Lord Selsey often said he disapproved of the ordinary subdivisions of a house, and especially as he lived alone, he did not see why one should breakfast in a breakfast room, dine in a dining room, draw in a drawing room, and so on. Nevertheless, he had one special room for music. There was a little platform at the end of it, and no curtains or draperies of any kind to obscure or stifle sound. A frieze of Greek figures playing various instruments ran around the walls, which were perfectly plain, so that nothing should distract the eye from the pleasures of the ear. But he was careful to avoid that look of a concert-room given by rows of chairs, suggesting restraint and reserved guinea-seats and the music-room was furnished with comfortable lounges, and led into a hall containing small empire sofas, in which not more than two persons could be seated. Therefore the audience at his entertainments often enjoyed themselves almost as much as the performers, which is rare. This afternoon there was the usual number of very tall women in large, highly decorated hats, smooth-haired young men in coats that went in at the waist, a very few serious amateurs with longish hair, whose appearance did not quite come up to the standard of the tailor and cutter, and a small number of wistful professional feminine artists, in no collars and pince-nez, in fact, the average fashionable artistic crowd. The two young geniuses, George Ranger and Neville Butt, had just given their rather electrifying performance, one playing the compositions of the other, and then both singing foray together, and a small band of green Bulgarians were now playing strenuously a symphony of Richard Strauss, when Cecil and Mrs. Raymond appeared together. Lord Selsey received her as if she had been an old friend. When they shook hands, they felt at once, after one glance at Cecil and then at each other, that they were more than friends. They were almost accomplices. By one of those fortunate social accidents that are always occurring in London, Lord Selsey had met Hyacinth and Anne Yeo at a party the day before, had been introduced to them, and invited them to hear Ranger and Butt. Hyacinth, aware that she was to meet Mrs. Raymond, wore her loveliest clothes and sweetest expression, though she could not keep out of her eyes a certain anxiety, especially when she saw that Cecil greeted her with a slight cold embarrassment that was very different from his usual manner. He had not expected to meet Hyacinth, and resolved to avoid the introduction he knew she desired. But no man is a match for a woman in a detail of this sort. In the refreshment-room, where Cecil was pressing coffee on Mrs. Raymond, Hyacinth walked in, accompanied by Anne, and stood not very far from him. He came up to her, as Hyacinth saw, at Mrs. Raymond's instigation. "'Can I get you anything, Miss Verney? Some tea?' "'Thanks, yes. Isn't that, Mrs. Raymond? I do wish you would introduce me to her.' Mrs. Raymond came forward. Cecil murmured their names. They shook hands. Mrs. Raymond looked at her with such impulsive admiration that she dropped a piece of cake. They spoke a few words about the music, and Cecil moved aside. Anne called him back, not wishing to see him spared anything.' "'You mustn't,' said Cecil, "'on any account miss the next thing. "'It's the wonderful new singer, don't you know? "'The little girl, Vera Shakovsky.' "'Oh, very well,' said Hyacinth. "'I'll go.' And she went on with Anne. But when they had returned to the music-room, she said to Anne, "'I left my handkerchief,' 
and went back to the refreshment room. A screen was by the door. Just before she had passed it she heard Mrs. Raymond say, "'What an angel! How can you not be at her feet? Go and talk to her at once, or I'll never speak to you again.' "'I just shan't,' said Cecil doggedly. "'You make me simply ridiculous. If you won't be nice to me yourself, you needn't throw me at the head of other people.' Hyacinth turned back and went to the music-room again. Some time afterwards Cecil joined her, Mrs. Raymond having apparently disappeared. The new tenor was singing an old song. Cecil sat down next to Hyacinth on a little empire sofa. "'Let me look at the programme,' he said. And as he took it from her, he pressed her fingers. She snatched her hand angrily away. "'Pray don't do that,' she said in a contemptuous tone. "'Even to obey Mrs. Raymond you needn't do violence to your feelings.' "'Miss Verney, I beg your pardon, but what do you mean?' "'Surely you understand. And don't trouble to come and see me any more.' He looked at her. Her suave social dexterity had vanished. Her eyes were dark with purely human, instinctive jealousy. They looked at each other a moment, then Lord Selsey came up and said, "'I'm afraid my attempt at originality hasn't been quite a success. The concert's not as harmonious as I had hoped.' "'Come and have tea, Miss Verney.' Hyacinth did not speak a word to Anne on their way home, nor did she refer to the afternoon, nor answer any remark of Anne's on the subject till that evening, when Anne came into her room to complain of the electric light and make fun of Lord Selsey's guests. Then she found Hyacinth sobbing and saying, "'I shall get over it. I shall be all right to-morrow. I'm going to cut him out of my life.' "'He'll soon cut in again,' said Anne. "'Indeed he won't. I'm not going to be played with, "'preferring an old Japanese who doesn't even like him "'and then making a fool of me.' "'If she ran after him, and you begged him to stick to her, "'it would be the other way,' said Anne. "'What do you mean? Hasn't he any real preference?' "'Yes, he's attached to her, fond of her. "'She's utterly indifferent about him, so he's piqued. "'So he thinks that's being in love.' "'Then why does he try to deceive me?' and flirt with me at all. He doesn't. You really attract him. You're suited to him physically and socially, perhaps mentally too. The suitability is so obvious that he doesn't like it. It's his feeling for you that he fights against, and especially because he sees you care for him. I was horrid enough to him today. I told him never to call here again. To show your indifference? I made him understand that I wanted no more of his silly flirtation said Hyacinth, still tearful. "'If you really made him think that, everything will be all right.' "'Really, Anne, you're clever. I think I shall take your advice.' Anne gave a queer laugh. "'I didn't know I'd given any, but I will. Whatever he does now, leave him alone.' "'I should think so. Then why did you tell me the other day to keep on hammering?' "'I was quite right the other day.' "'Didn't I look nicer than Mrs. Raymond?' "'That's not the point. You talk as if you were rivals on the same platform. She's on a different plane, but he'll get tired in the end of her indifference and remember you,' added Anne sardonically. "'Then he'll find I've forgotten him. Oh, why am I so unhappy?' "'You're too emotional. But you'll be happy through that, too. Please don't make your eyes red. There are other people in the world. Cecil Reeve—and yet—' There's something so fascinating about him. 
He's so unlike anyone else.' "'Bosh,' said Anne. "'He's exactly like thousands of other young men. But it just happens you've taken a fancy to him. That's the only thing that makes him different.' "'I hate him,' said Hyacinth. "'Do you dislike him, Anne?' "'Dislike him?' said Anne, turning out one of the lights. "'No, indeed. I loathe him.' "'But why?' Anne went to the door. "'Because you're a fool about him,' she said, somewhat cryptically. Hyacinth felt somewhat soothed, and resolved to think no more of Cecil Reeve. Then she turned up the light again, took her writing materials, and wrote him three long letters, each of which she tore up. Then she wrote once more, saying, "'Dear Mr. Reeve, I shall be home to-day at four. Do come round and see me.' She put it under her pillow, resolving to send it by a messenger the first thing in the morning, and went to sleep. But this letter, like the others, was never sent. By the morning light she marvelled at having written it, and threw it into the fire. End of chapter 10